Amen. Thank you, Lord. You know, the Lord really wants to um, help us to be childlike. And, you know, because children really receive love real easy. Um, so that's really the key, is not to be uh, obnoxious when the Lord wants to love on you. That's, I think that's really important, being childlike in your faith. <clears throat> Here's what happens, I've noticed, um, and it's a sad thing, is most of us when we're young and little, we can run around and have a great time. And then somewhere between middle school and high school, we start getting these concern about what everybody thinks about us. And we start taking on this thing on us that's not real. And by the time we get old, we're just, you know... We forget what it's like. And, you know, the Bible says the kingdom of God is for children. That's how you enter in. You have to be childlike. And you just have to be like a little child and receive. And that was really what the Lord wants us to take that mentality with us and, and have that in our hearts is to be childlike. It want, he doesn't want us to be childish. You know, being childish is fussy and whiny, fighting each other. But he wants us to be childlike. He really does. And being childlike is, you know, the children really, you know, when they, I said when they left, they took the joy with them. You know, they're not gloomy like we, we are. Have you ever, just, I was watching a football game yesterday, Florida State versus Syracuse. I, you know, I sort of got into college football after going to a couple of college games. But the guy was talking about the crowd. It's, they kept saying, man, the crowd's just not into this game. That's what the announcers kept saying. Finally, one, because this was at Florida State, and they're pretty aggressive bunch of people down there about their team because they've been a good team and you know every once in a while they get all stirred up and start that chant that they do and but the announcers kept saying they're not into the game and finally one of the announcers said it's about like being at church here that's what he said <laughs> I thought man what a bad testimony we got <laughs> you know they're not into the game man we really need to allow the Lord to minister his love and life to us isn't that right and so I just want to encourage you you know to be childlike really to be childlike, to receive. And that's what a child does. A child receives. He's not really concerned. And a person who's loved, and a child who's loved and really knows their love, they're secure. And they're not worried about what the neighbors think or, you know, about how they're dressed or how their hair looks. They're just in a, a mode of receiving. So I think that's really what the Lord wanted us to see this morning when we were worshiping Him. saying all these songs about how much God loves us. And, and the children were just having a blast. They really were, and I just think that's the, really the key is to be childlike and have a blast with God. Amen. So I wanted to ask you to turn to John chapter, what is it, Brian? Five. Yeah, Brian keeping me straight back there. John chapter five. So I'm not going to apologize to you that this is the third message that you've heard out of these scriptures. One of them was a great message on, from Dennis DeGrasse on God's, how God heals people. And that was his whole message about how God heals and God just speaks to disease and he heals people who don't even want to be healed because God really loves people and cares about people. That was just really tremendous, sort of Jesus' way of healing. Uh, and then another message last week, which I always thought was a pretty good message myself, but <laughs> it's about how the Lord wants church to be. The Lord wants us to be a house of mercy in a place where the sick people and the lost people can come and find the love of God in the church. And so that's just so important, you know, that's because it was the sheep gate. And that's, 
And the sheep gate was at Beth Bethsaida, which is, means house of mercy. So, but let me just read that, and I'll go ahead and try to finish this. There's a couple more things in here. <clears throat> Does this thing sound boomy to y'all? Can y'all unboom it a little bit? After this, there was a feast of the Jews. I think it's behind me. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there's a, now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethsaida, having five porches. And in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. That's what we want. We want the water to move. You know, we want to see, you know, we want to see that water moving. When it moves, uh, it says an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. That's a long time. So one thing that's great about the Lord now is it, you can be the first person or the last person to step in. It doesn't matter where you step in at. It's, he's going to touch you. Amen? Is that right? So I'm talking about stepping into the spirit realm. I'm talking about step, stepping in that spiritual pool. But this guy had been there, had an infirmity 38 years. Now when Jesus saw him lying there, in other words, he was paralyzed, and you had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no, no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. He was sort of in a pitiful state there. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And the day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It's the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to... For you to carry your bed. In other words, they were saying, You're breaking the rules. Anybody ever broke any rules in here? Anybody? I used to break lots of rules. But this was their, their rule. This wasn't God's rule. And, and he answered them, And he who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. So, here's what I want to talk about. is uh, We've talked about how the Lord loves people and how the Lord has a heart to heal people. You know, um, so I want to talk about this thing called the tragedy of sin. Okay, because I think, you know, most of us have been notorious sinners at one time in our life. Hopefully you're still not. Anybody here a notorious sinner this morning? I bet you wouldn't raise your hand if you were, but if, you, if you're a notorious sinner, you're in the right place, okay? You really are. Even if you're a Christian this morning and you have found yourself falling into to the depths of sin, you're still in the right place because really God loves sinners. And I love what that guy said, uh, Graham Cook, on that little thing we gave at the first. He says, even if, you, even if you're not going to change have no intention to change, I still love you. And that really is the heart of God. No plans to change, yeah. So God loves us no matter what we do. But God's love, when it's releasing to us, will cause us to change. But um, I wanted to just talk to you a little bit because this is really one um, um, scripture about sin. It really is talks about sin and what sin does to us. Now, there's a verse in Hebrews 3.13 that says this. It says, Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness 
of sin. Because see, you see what happens in a person's life. Sin deceives you. Sin tricks you. And what, ultimately what happens is it will harden your heart against the Lord. Now that's the truth. All right, another scripture, Romans 6.23. This is, this is the truth of God's Word. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a gift. So one, on one hand, you see this verse. It says you earn, when you sin, you're earning something. But with God, you don't earn nothing. He, it's all a gift. It's all a gift with God. And that's the contrast. But I want you to look at the first part. The wages of sin are death. So when we fall into sin, death is, is following right behind it. There's going to be a spiritual death in you, and there's ultimately going to be a natural death in you when you sin. Now, that's the truth of God's Word this morning. That really is the truth. So what I wanted to do in looking at this uh, in John 5 here, I just wanted us to look at a few things this morning about what, using this man as an example of, of what sin does to a person. I got just a few things. I'm trying to find John 5 in my Bible. I got so hooked on Brian's thing back there that I'm trying to tell y'all don't be hooked, but I'm hooked. I've been going preaching down there in, in Cornelius, and I've been having a hard time not having this thing. I feel sort of uh, weak without it. All right, and the first thing, it says in verse 14... Brian, could you put that back, verse 14 back of that John 1 chapter up? I want you to say, it says, uh, it says, After Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been well. Sin no more, lest a worse, a worse thing come upon you. So the first thing from that verse we can see that sin affects us spiritually or physically. Okay, this man, and that's what Jesus was saying. He was talking about that man's physical condition. Sin affects you and your physical body. Okay, now listen, I don't really understand the, the other, one of the other signs that Jesus did yet about the man who was born blind over in John 9. And they asked the question, who sinned, this man or his parents? You know, there's theological debate over that thing. <laughs> I'm not going to be debating it. But I do know this, Jesus said, don't even be, let's forget that deal. Uh, he said, neither one of them. So supposedly, or supposedly, Maybe it maybe wasn't your sin or maybe not your parents' sin that caused you destruction in life, but we live in a sinful world. And I believe all sin comes from, from, from all sickness comes from hell. And all sin comes from hell. So I believe this morning, if you, when you sin, you, you are removing yourself out from under God's grace covering as a minimum. Okay, and when you're out out from under God's grace covenant, then you are prey to evil. And part of the evil in this world is sickness and disease. And you can't tell me it's not. You can't tell me cancer is not from, from the devil. You ask somebody who had cancer and who suffered with it. You ask somebody who's got a bad sore throat. So what I'm telling you, the first thing, with, like with this man, Jesus said, listen, listen. You've been made well. Don't sin anymore, least worry. In other words, Jesus was implying to this man, the reason you were paralyzed in the first place is because of sin. Now, that's what that verse says there. Amen? I mean, that one thing right there sort of gets me stirred up. I want to be healthy, okay? Again, I, if you're sick this morning, I'm not saying you sin because Jesus in John 9, okay? But I am saying, I am saying this. Sin affects us physically. I'm saying that. That's what the Bible says. So let's just stick with what it says. All right, number two, verse 7. Brian, put verse 7 up there. 
The, the, when Jesus answered the question, the sick man asked him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Sin affects us socially. Sin affects us socially. Loneliness and a sense of isolation in a person's life is caused by sin. Loneliness and a sense of isolation. Okay? So sin not only separates from, us from the Lord, it will absolutely separate you from family members. It will separate you from the people you love the most. In fact, let me just say, this is a common sin that husbands do that, that separate them from their wife. Their wife says something, they say the wrong thing, and the husband blows up at them. Outburst of anger, which is sin. Okay? Be angry and sin not. Well, an outburst of anger falls into the sin category. Well, the wife gets offended, shuts her mouth, the husband's sitting over there, and then a fight can start. See, that's a real simple illustration about how sin can isolate us and cut us off from each other. Now, um, there's a thing uh, called, in Le Hebrews 11:25. it's called the passing pleasures of sin. Everybody hear that? Passing pleasures of sin. In other words, if you get a bunch of sinners together, they're going to have a good time. Is that right? But there's a passing pleasure in getting together with a bunch of sinners. Because we find that in the Bible in, in, Hebrew, in Luke 15, 16. This is the same thing. This is talking about the prodigal son. After he had had his fill of fun and parties and drinking and smoking and, and wine and women and song, he got into a mess, lost all his stuff, and nobody suddenly liked him anymore. And it said he would have gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. No one gave him. And so you see what sin will do to you? Sin will bring you to a place of isolation, ultimately. It separates marriages. It separates people from families. And it separates people from the very people they love. I know that was one of the ways that God dealt with me before I got saved. Is all my friends I hung around with that I thought really loved me suddenly turned on me. Had a couple wanting to kill me. I knew something was wrong with my life. You know what I'm saying? When everybody I had associated with for years, suddenly, you know, I became their target. And I couldn't figure out why I was. You know what I'm saying? So sin affects us socially. It's going to affect you socially. I, you, you see it in the church all the time. People get out with each other and they separate themselves. Sin. Usually sin's at the bottom of that. Some, it's not just a misunderstanding. Somebody falls into sin over it. Are you all with me? All right, number three. Verse 7 and 11. We just read verse 7, how he did, I had no one. Okay, verse 11. Put verse 11 up there, bro. Are you all with me this morning? Verse 11 says, uh, that ain't right. Yes, it is. Sin, number three, sin affects our judgment. Now, this is a biggie right here. He answered the Pharisees when they confronted this. Now, at first he said, I don't have nobody. See, all right, here, I want you to get the picture of this man. He was laying there, and Jesus said, you want to get well? And his first thing he says, there ain't nobody here to help me. All right? Then he gets well. The Pharisees confront him, and he says, it was this other guy's fault, the reason I'm carrying this bag. In other words, it's their fault because I'm laying down here paralyzed. I, nobody's helping me. I'm by myself. I'm messed up. And now Jesus has healed him. It's Jesus' fault, the reason I'm breaking this rule. You see, what happens in a person, what was the first thing that Adam did when God confronted Adam back at the very beginning? Adam, what have you done? Have you done? It's her, Lord. It's her. And see, that's our natural thing is we want to shift the blame to somebody else. That's what sin does. You talk to any person who's in sin and they are going to blame everybody and his brother. 
Well, you know, with the church over, I told you that story last week. The guy who, you know, had this major fight with his wife, and he was blaming me for it. Duh, you know, I didn't do that. I'm not living in your house, you idiot. <laughs> you know? It's a classic fruit. So you can always tell when somebody's in sin. It's how they're blaming everybody else for their situation and circumstance. Um, this is a great verse. Put that Ecclesiastes. I've, I've given you this verse before. I want to get Ecclesiastes 10.1. I want to give it to you again. It says, Dead flies, this is the message translation, dead flies and perfume make it stink. You know, perfume is supposed to smell good. So you put dead flies in it and it's going to stink. And a little foolishness de- decomposes much wisdom. A little foolishness. In other words, here's what happens to you. When you sin, it's like the wisdom that God has put in your life suddenly starts being eroded. And you suddenly start making these bad judgment calls. It's just common. It's common. This is nothing unusual. Your judgment is twisted. Your judgment is perverted when you sin. You're suddenly blaming everybody else for your problems when really it's you. And you'll lie, lie, you'll lie through your teeth to try to cover up. You know, your judgment is perverted. It's, per, it's perverse. Everybody with me? All right, number four, and this is the last one and one I consider to be the most profound. Uh, number four, sin causes you to live a life that is not true to who you really are. Okay? It causes you to live... That's, duh. You know, that don't sound profound. It is very profound. This is how sin affects our heart as a person, as a human being. Okay? Um, I had this dream last night. This dream was from the Lord. And I, in the dream, I was at a friend of mine's church, and he was preaching a message from Ezra. Okay? And he read some scriptures which are not in Ezra. <laughs> what in scriptures are not in there, man? You're quoting Ezra or something. You know, I can't find them in there. Okay, but then he began to talk about this young man who, when he was a young person, his mama was perverted, and she somehow had convinced this boy that he was a homosexual and it was okay. All righty? And then he, he went on and talked about how the Lord saved that little boy. He was a young kid. He was probably, you know, a young teen. Had saved him from homosexuality. Okay? And, you know, he'd gotten saved. But then he took it one step further. He said, not only did God save this boy, deliver him from homosexuality, God made him into who he was supposed to be. And somehow he used Ezra's scriptures to back that up. But what was so profound about it, he handed out this postcard. This is the second dream I've ever had in my life that there was a postcard in it, and it showed a picture of the boy when he was living a homosexual lifestyle. And then it showed a picture of the boy when he got saved. There was a marked difference in him. But then there was this huge, massive difference in that boy from the time he was saved until the time he became who God said he was. And when, it, when and I saw that when I, in, in the dream, I saw that picture of the boy. I looked at all three of them. And when I did, I busted out crying in the dream because I realized, you know, we preach a gospel that sort of stops at the middle. That's what we do. We preach a gospel, get you saved. But, but uh, let's just leave you with this deadness on you. Let's, let's leave you the way you were. You just look better. You just do different things. You are saved. You're going to heaven. You're a nice guy. You go to church. You do nice things to people, but there's something still wrong with you. 
There's something bad wrong with you. You're paralyzed. That was like that man. It paralyzes us in our hearts. That's what sin does. It paralyzes you. It takes your will to live away. It takes your desire for life away. I tell you what, you go get around a bunch of high school kids. And that's what you'll see in them. You see, I mean, honestly, I have never in my life seen the walking dead. And these kids are supposedly Christians. But it's like they're stuck in the middle there. They're stuck in this place of, I'm not in the world. I'm, some, I'm saved, but I'm not really. The real me is not out there. The real me is stuffed down in there somewhere. And I have no way of con- contacting that real person. And that's what sin does to Christians. That's why we're so... You know, like we are. The real us is still hid. It's down there inside of us craving to get out. We look nice and we're acting better. And we're going to heaven. But a bunch of us haven't made it to that third picture yet. We haven't become that different person. Are y'all, y'all got that point? Y'all getting this? It's uh, so, you know... Sin robs you of, of your willpower, okay? It consumes your energy for life. I just wrote these things down. It leaves you a prisoner of your own despair. Now, that's what that man was laying there. He was a prisoner of his own despair. I ain't got nobody to help me. Somebody else is going to get there. He had no desire to get his carcass up and be healed. That's why Jesus said, you want to get what? You want to get well? You want to get saved? What's really inside? See, Jesus, you know what Jesus was doing? He wasn't trying to find the guy really wanted to get healed. He was trying to let the guy find out what is in you, man. What is in you? Really? Are you just some fake laying there? And you're just in despair. You're paralyzed. Not, you're, your mind's paralyzed. Your heart's paralyzed. That's Christianity for the most of us. That's what we look like to Jesus. Hey, you want to get up from there? That's what Jesus wants to say to us sometimes. You want to get up? Or you just want to lay there for the rest of your life and live like that? Go get around a bunch of teenagers. It'll break your heart. It's, it's heartbreaking. Watch them. I'm talking about kids who could be changing the world and they have this... They're just going through the motions of life. That's really what you see in them. It's crushing because of all people. Because they have the physical energy that we don't have as much of. You know, we at 10 o'clock, I'm ready to go to bed, man. I don't want to stay up. I want to go to bed. I'm tired. i got to get up early in the morning. You know, they'll sleep all day. Maybe that has something to do with it. But I had a dream one time. I was in this prison. And this guy came by with this big old nasty five-gallon bucket and took this big old nasty spoon, stuck it in it, and slung something at me. That was my food. Walked on by. I feel like in the dream the Lord said to me, you know, that door's unlocked. All you got to do is walk out of it. So I got up out of this prison. I went to the door and pushed it, and it was up. So I started walking out. Then there was this guy. I started walking down this ramp. I'll never forget it in this dream. This guy was standing there. I knew in my dream, that's Satan himself standing there. So I'm thinking, I'm leaving. I'm not staying in this self-imposed prison any longer. I'm not going to believe your lies any longer. I'm not going to be the way I am any longer. I'm gone from here. So I just decided I'm going to knock Satan down and keep going. Okay, so I hauled off and hit him as hard as I could hit him. And at the time, I was, you know, I was probably in my late 30s, so I could still whop a pretty good punch. 
You're not quite as good now as then, but I can still do it. All right, Marlon? So I hauled off and hit Satan as hard as I could. My, I mean, I rear back and gave it all to him. And when I did, I saw my fist like this, hit his face, and he just sat there and looked at me. I saw it kind of go in a little bit, but it didn't turn his head. It didn't knock him down. And I realized, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. This guy is going to beat me to death. And then I realized right then, but wait a minute, I don't have to do this. I don't have to fight him. He's already beat. The Lord's beat this guy. He's defeated. All I've got to do is trust the Lord. I just believe in the Lord. And I walk right by him. He couldn't touch me. And that was, I felt like the Lord was telling me, that's the secret of getting out of Satan's lives, Satan's presence. Don't fight him. Trust me. Okay, well, here's another dream. So the reality is the door's unlocked. You don't have to live like you're living. You don't have to be like you're being. Okay? It's really important. All right, there was this other dream I had. This was several months ago. I'm, I'm in telling y'all about dreams. All right, this dream I was preaching in this church, okay? And I was preaching some verses out of Corinthians. And in, when I woke up, I thought, those, those verses are not even in the Bible. I was preaching something that's not in the Bible. What in the world? It sounded like it was in the Bible. In the dream, it seemed like it was the Bible. But I have read those verses of where they were in the Bible. And I thought, I just don't... I didn't know exactly where it was at, so I sort of gave up until recently. I was reading the Bible, and I found those verses in there. They were just in a different translation. So I want to read them to you. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 through 13. Okay? So this is cool when you have a dream about something you don't think is in the Bible. Then you read another translation, and you find out it really is in the Bible. I, read, I think, wow, those are scriptures. I remember them now. He said this. So I believe those scriptures the guy was preaching last night and Ezra really are in there. It's just they're not in there in my new King James Version. You know? He said, Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide-open, spacious life. All right, now, hang on right there. All right, go back to that just for a second, Brian. Wide, all right, for all you typical Christians wondering, well, that don't seem so good. Think about what Jesus said in John 10, abundant life. That's another way of saying abundant life. I want you to enter this wide-open, spacious life. Now, that's a good description of Christianity, the way Jesus designed it to be. Wide-open and spacious. Does that feel like your life? I don't think so, unless you're something special. Because most Christians are not wide-open, and they're not very spacious. They're very confined and very rigid, just like these chairs in here, you know, all in a row. All right, go on, Brian. We didn't fence you in. We didn't fence you in. Now, that's what God wants to say to people this morning. I haven't fenced any of you in. I haven't put this big border around your life and stuck you in a corral. I've not made your life like that. I haven't created you to live like that. Listen, the smallness. Anybody ever just feel like your life is confined and small? Well, that's what he's saying. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Okay? It's not me is what God's saying. I, I, that's not what living a holy life is. See, we think sin is going to give us that spacious life. But that's the lie of sin. That's the deceitfulness of sin. It tricks you and makes you think if you really follow God, you oh, I've got to give up all these things. That's what I was... How come you won't get saved, Byron? Well, I'll tell you what, I really like drinking. I really like drugs. I really like going to bars and carousing and doing all the things that go. That's why I don't want to get saved. I've got to give all that stuff up. The guy was like, you're just stupid. 
That's what you are. That's what my brother You're stupid, Byron. You think you're giving up something. I couldn't see it. Because I lived like that. I, didn't, I felt like God would fence me and God's strict, you know. He's mean. He's hard to get with, you know. He has a, a demand on us. That's what religion teaches us. You see, we're all a product of religion. Everybody in this room is affected by religion in some way. You may not think you are, but you really are. Every one of us. Every one of us. And the only way we can get free of that prevailing spirit that is in the earth, that's really, I'm convinced about the religious spirit, that it is nothing more than a dimension, a manifestation of the Antichrist spirit. I think it's all part of the same program. You know, to produce a church that has a form of godliness but denies the very power of God, denies the very life of God. So we live that life. So we live this life that feels small to us. But this is what Paul was saying. Listen, your lives aren't small. They're really not. But you're living them in a small way. You hear me? You're living your life in a small way. If you're believing what the world tells you, if you believe in what your own mind tells you, you're living your life in a small way. Now that's the way it really, that's the truth. You're living your life in a small way. Okay? You got verse 13, Brian? And then Paul says, I'm speaking as plainly as I can with great affection. You think that the Lord wants to just talk about, you know, I love you, I love you, I love you. That's great affection. That is great affection. He wants us to get it. It's supposed to do something to us. It's supposed to release us. It's supposed to break that thing off of us that we've believed ever since we were in this world, that we woke up in this world one day and thought we had to be a certain way. That's really why I didn't want to become a Christian before the drug thing when I was younger. I didn't like Christianity because I thought all Christians are hypocrites. They're liars. That's what I told the church that my daddy used to make me go to. I got in some big trouble one time. I'm talking about big trouble with the law, okay? It was... I was young, and, you know, I did something I shouldn't have done, and I got my... So my daddy was desperate, so he called our pastor over there. And so he wanted, you know, was talking to me, and I just said, listen, this is the way I feel about it, okay? Them people in that church, they ain't like Christians now, but you, I see them out there in their everyday life. They ain't Christians. If that's what Christianity is, I don't want no part of it. They're hypocrites. They live two lives. Why would anybody want that? I blasted them. I can't believe I said all that to this guy. He sat there and listened to me and didn't really... It didn't really say much to me. He didn't fuss at me about it, which I was surprised. Of course, they ran him off from the church. Yeah. I'm, I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives, live open and expansively. Now, that's really what Christianity is supposed to be. And that's why a lot of us are lukewarm or cold or falling away is because we're not living... We've allowed the deceitfulness of sin, we've allowed sin to just corrupt our heart so much that it's ruined us. And we're not really who we're supposed to be. We're not the person we're supposed to be. We're something else. We're trapped somewhere between the world and the kingdom of God. We're trapped. And really what God wants to do is get you free from the trap. He wants to get you free. He wants you to live a life 
that no matter where you are circumstantially, because I'm not talking about physical things now, I'm talking about your heart, where you could be in a dungeon somewhere and live the most free, open, expansive life there is. doesn't mean you're just going to... You know what I'm saying? It's a heart thing. Because, you see, sin affects our heart. Sin deceives our heart. Sin hardens our heart. And it causes us to shut down. And it causes us to live a mediocre life. And it causes us to be something we're really not. And I don't know about you, but I'd like to not do that. I would like to be... I would like what Paul said. Listen, I haven't gotten there. He said it. This is what Paul said. He said, I haven't made it there yet. But one thing I know, I'm, I'm letting go of what, what's in my life now, but I'm pressing on to that upward call of God in Christ. In other words, what he was saying, there's always more for, of God. There's, God always has more for you. God always has something else to reveal to you. God always wants to show you something greater that's in you. This, and it's already in all of us, but he's just saying God wants to reveal it and release it into your life in a greater way. And if you stop where you stop, then you're not going to live that life. Amen? So I want to ask the question this morning. Six minutes, and it'll be 12.30. Six minutes. I got six more minutes just to wear you out. <laughs> Go right ahead. I, I beg you to listen to this. Um, on the way to church this morning, the Lord spoke clearly to me. He said, and this is exactly the words I heard, tell my church that sanctification is possible. They have believed a lie. And, you know, I want to take the religious word out of there, but if you have a habitual sin mm. in your life that is messing you up, you can be free from that. Amen. That's what the Lord's trying to say this morning. And I'm sitting here, and I, and I know that the word that Byron is bringing this morning is from the heart of God for His church. Please listen. You do not have to continue trapped in that sin just hoping that God will show you mercy at the end. There's more than that for the Christian. This thing that Byron is saying to the church this morning is God's heart for the church today. Yeah, amen. So I think that's it, man. I want to ask anybody in here if you feel like you're trapped in your life and you want to get out. You want, I want to be free, Lord. I really wanted this thing. I want it right, Lord. I'm not talking about lawlessness this morning. It's like what Jim said, you know, is living a holy, set-apart life is very possible... And it's very wonderful. It's very wonderful. And only the Holy Spirit and you know the truth about yourself. This morning, I'll tell you one last story. You know, I felt, you know, I started doing those morning star meetings and I realized, you know, I knew the Lord wanted to teach me some things. And you know what? The first thing the Lord started teaching me, Byron, you know what? You are very influenced by finances, fear of finances, and the yoke of man. Because go down there, they're paying the bills. I'm not. You know, <laughs> I don't really care what they offer. I mean, I care ultimately. You know, but I realize, Lord, you know, those things can have a, an effect on you without you really knowing it. They really can. Things can affect you in your life and cause you to make little adjustments 
in your life that you may not realize you're making until the Lord comes in, in His great mercy and love and says, you're making some adjustments there that I don't like. I want you to be free of that. I want you to be free of the fear of finances because I don't want you to sin over finances. You hear what I'm saying to you? And it could be any example. That was just a God's mercy on me. I didn't even know I had that problem. I thought I was free. I thought I didn't care. But I realized through the power of the, the, you know, the Holy Spirit just talking to my heart, telling me stuff. And I just want to ask you this one. Let's just take this moment and ask the Lord. Some of you, it doesn't, it's just obvious. You know what you're seeing, stuff you're stuck in. Some of you, you know, you may not. It may be something you need this, the Spirit of God to reveal more to you or whatever. But, Father, we're just going to ask you this morning. Lord, I want you to, I want you to continue to convince us that you that it, the spiritual life that you've called us to is wonderful and that you want to set us free from every bondage that we have. Every bondage. Lord, the Bible says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And Lord, we're coming to you this morning not with a program or, a, or a, some sort of procedure or process. We're coming to you to get set free today by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray you'd begin right now to set us free in our thinking. Lord, I pray right now for all for the that religious mindset has infiltrated us and shut us down. I pray you begin to unravel those things, remove the blinders. Lord, if we're sin, we're just committing sin has become a pleasurable thing to us. Lord, I pray we begin to see that the pleasure is passing. And Lord, I pray we begin to see, Lord, that there's something greater. There's something greater, Lord. I just ask you to do that, Lord, for every person in this room. Lord, touch them right now. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this room right now in a fresh, just refresh us right now. Lord, speak to hearts. Break the captives, set the captives free. Break the chains that are over the captives, Lord. I'm asking you. Every person in this room, Lord. And I think the Lord's speaking to some of us. Just let Him speak to you. Let Him have His way right now. Lord, I just ask you, just Lord, just as uh, as Paul tried to tell the Corinthians, you don't have to live small. You're not small. I heard a guy say recently, and it was really the truth. He's talking about people wanting prominence, you know, clamoring for prominence, and he's saying really it's not prominence that people really want. Everybody wants to be significant. That's really, and I think that's a thing from God because really and truly, everybody is significant. That's the truth. And when we don't feel significant, we try to fulfill it in a perverse way by, you know, what he was calling prominence. And, you know, you just need to know this morning that you're significant to the Lord. Whoever you are, you are significant to him. Very significant to him. You know, some people do have more prominence. Now, the Billy Graham is one of the most prominent people in the church, but that doesn't make him more significant, you know, and Ken, fortune over there. We're all significant to the Lord. The Lord wants to convince us of that. And you know what that does to you? That makes you want to run after God. It may, but you know what? Trying to you know get that fulfillment some some other way, it makes you run away from Him. 
say, Lord, I just ask you for these people in this room this morning that don't just cut off all that stuff off of us, Father. Cut it off, Lord. Set us free, Lord. All right, this is another thing. The Bible talks about the yoke of man. Okay? Well, actually what it talks about is my yoke is easy, meaning there's other yokes. There's a yoke of man. There's a yoke of religion. There's a yoke of false expectations. Okay, those are the other yokes in our life that just wear us out. Jesus talked about his burden. He has a specific burden he wants to give us. His burden is not so heavy that it just wears you out and beats you to death. See, many people are carrying burdens that God never meant for them to carry. Never. We're not designed for it. And we have yokes on us that are not meant to be on us. And the Lord wants to, you know, break those things off of us and remove those things out of our lives. So, Father, I just, I'm saying all this because this is what God's been talking to me about. He's been talking about me about the yoke of man. So, Father, I just believe there's people in here who are carrying other yokes. And I pray you would break it off of them in Jesus' name. And they would see, Lord, that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. So we ask you for that this morning, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And earlier we just had a, you know, just a, you know, a gospel message preached. Does any, if any of you in this room this morning really, if you really don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've not made that step towards Him, there was a clear word to you this morning. God was speaking to you and inviting you to come. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what Jesus said. And if you haven't made that decision, if you haven't come unto Jesus, I want to invite you to come unto Jesus this morning as, as you were so, as it was so clearly stated right after, as we ended worship. Come unto Jesus. And I want to ask you if you can make that step this morning. If you want to come up here for prayer, <clears throat> if you have not made that first step, and I, I want to ask the ministry team to come up right now. Y'all come up. And I want to ask any of you others, if you feel like the Lord is saying, come unto me this morning in a, in a fresh way in your life. Maybe you just need to come and ask the Lord to touch you in a fresh way, in a new way. I'm, I'm inviting you to do that right now. I'm inviting you to, to respond to the Lord and allow them to, to pray for you, to be set free. If you have bondages in your life, if you have sexual sin or, or if you have you know, addictions to alcohol or you know, substance abuse or, or if you just have just bad thoughts in your life, you know, a thought life that's just corrupt, or if you're doing something you shouldn't be doing and you know it, I'm inviting you to come up and let's, we're going to pray the prayer of faith over you and the Lord is going to set you free this morning. We're going to believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to instantly break chains over people. And, you know, for the rest of us who are, don't need that, that's good too. So, Lord, we just release your power right now for these people in this room that really need you, need a fresh dose of the, of the power of the Holy Spirit. Right now, in Jesus' name. Amen. The rest of you, you know, you can sort of be dismissed. <laughs>